Greetings and welcome to Catechesis, a teaching series aimed to instruct in foundational Christian doctrine and to encourage piety amongst the people of God. For those who don't know me, my name is Joe Anity. I serve as pastor at Emmaus Reformed Baptist Church in Hemet, California, and I'm glad that you've joined me today. In this third lesson, we will be considering question four of the Baptist Catechism, which asks, what is the Word of God? Notice that this question naturally flows from question three, for there we learn that God reveals himself most specifically and fully by his Word and Spirit. Again, the answer to question three says that the light of nature in man and the works of God plainly declare that there is a God, but his word and spirit only do it fully and effectively for the salvation of sinners. Well, if it is true that God reveals himself fully and effectively for the salvation of sinners by his word, then we must also ask, what is the word of God? Uh, The answer, and perhaps the young ones could repeat after me here, the Holy Scriptures— of the Old and New Testaments are the Word of God, and the only certain rule of faith and obedience. First, consider the phrase, the Holy Scriptures. Scriptures simply means writings. Our catechism rightly teaches that God's Word has been written down for us, and these writings though they are the writing of men, are called holy. They are not like other writings, for they are inspired by God, as we will see. It should be remembered that though we have the Word of God in the form of Scripture today, God's Word has been delivered in other ways in ages past. For example, God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden before sin entered into the world. He communed with them. He entered into a covenant with them. He spoke to them and they to him. God spoke to Abraham. He called him and gave him his promises. He revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush and on the mountain. He spoke to his people through the ministry of the prophets in ages past. And he revealed himself supremely through Jesus the Christ, who was the eternal word of God come in the flesh. This is what John 1, 1 and verse 14 teaches, saying, In the beginning was the word, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so when we ask, what is the Word of God? We might answer in a different and more thorough way than our catechism answers. In fact, we might answer by quoting Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, which says that long ago, At many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 is here emphasizing that God has indeed spoken at many times and in many ways, and he has spoken supremely through his Son. But our catechism does not attempt such a thorough answer, Instead, it answers the question, what is the Word of God, as it pertains to us today? What is the Word of God for us? In other words, how does God speak to us today? Where do we go to find his Word today? Well, it was in times past that God spoke through the prophets. It was in times past that God spoke through the Son of God in the Incarnation. Today, now that redemption has been accomplished through the Christ— 
we have the Holy Scriptures, we have the writings, which are an inspired record of God's past revelations, as well as an inspired interpretation and application of those revelatory acts to be preserved and proclaimed for all time. We have the Scriptures. Chapter 1 of our Confession, and here I am talking about our Confession of Faith, the Second London Baptist Confession and not our Catechism, but chapter 1 of our Confession is entitled, Of Holy Scripture. And paragraph 1 addresses the same thing that we are now considering in our Catechism, but more thoroughly. Paragraph 1 says that the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and his will which is necessary unto salvation. So uh, you could see that it is addressing the same things. In fact, our catechism is summarizing what our confession says here. Therefore, we go on reading, It pleased the Lord at sundry or different times, and in diverse manners, different ways, to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church. You could hear the influence of Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 there. And I quote again, and afterward, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world, to commit the same wholly unto writing, which maketh the holy scriptures to be most necessary, those former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people now being ceased." So there is what our confession has to say, and you could see how our catechism summarizes that teaching very briefly. What is the Word of God? Well, for you and for me living in the last days so long after the arrival of the Christ of whom the prophets spoke, it is the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament, as our catechism says. Uh, The Holy Scriptures, which we call the Bible, is actually made up of 66 books, And so, children, I might ask you a question here to keep you on your toes. How many books or letters are contained within the Bible? And if you said 66, then you are correct. There are 66 individual books or or letters within the Holy Scriptures. And how many authors are there to the Bible? Well, I suppose that that can be answered in two ways. In a sense, there is only one author, and who would that be? We would say that God is the one and only and supreme author of Holy Scripture, and we'll say more about that in just a moment. But if we are talking about human authors, it is important to know that there are many, over 40 in fact. Uh, For example, it was Moses who wrote the first five books of the Bible. Other writers include Joshua, Samuel, David, Solomon, Jeremiah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, and Paul. Uh, There are many men who wrote the Holy Scriptures under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So then, the scriptures were written by many human authors, and they were written over a very long period of time. Uh, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible in approximately 1400 B.C., and the last book of the Bible was written somewhere around 90 A.D. And so that is a span of nearly 1500 years. And yet we find that the Holy Scriptures all agree. These many books written by many authors over such a long period of time, they fit together to tell one story. In short, 
Together they tell the story of the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth through Jesus the Christ, the uniquely begotten Son of God. So I have a quiz again for you. How many individual books are contained within the Bible? The answer is 66. How many human authors were involved in the writing of Scripture? Uh, The answer is many, over 40 in fact. And how much time passed between the writing of the first book of Scripture and the writing of the last book of Scripture? The answer is approximately 1,500 years. One important thing to know is that the Bible is divided up into two testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, This is what our catechism says. Question, what is the Word of God? Answer, the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are the Word of God. In the Old Testament, there are 39 books, and in the New Testament, there are 27 books for a total of 66. Generally speaking, the Old Testament tells us about the Old Covenant that began with Abraham but was ratified under Moses. The Israelite or Hebrew people were members of this Old Covenant by birth. And the New Testament is about the New Covenant, which was ratified in Christ's blood. No one is born into this new covenant. It is those who have faith in Christ who come into this new covenant. In other words, while most people came into the Old Covenant by birth, one can only come into the New Covenant by new birth or regeneration, by which we are enabled to believe upon Christ. More on that another time. So, what historical event distinguishes between the Old and New Testaments? Well, the arrival of the Christ distinguishes between the two Testaments. Notice that Matthew's Gospel, which is the first book of the New Testament, begins with an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Christ and his miraculous birth. So how many Testaments are there in the Bible? The answer is two. How many books are in the Old Testament? The answer is 39. And how many books are in the New Testament? The answer is 27. And there we have our total of 66 books of the Bible. What event marks the beginning of the New Testament? Well, it is the birth of the Christ. There are many who assume that the Old and New Testaments have very little to do with one another. A teaching that has been very popular in our nation over the past hundred years or so makes a very sharp divide between the two Testaments. Perhaps you have even heard someone say, that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New, or something like that. This is a terrible misunderstanding and distortion of the teaching of Holy Scripture. For the sake of time, I will simply say that the Old and New Testaments and the Old and New Covenants are obviously different. Otherwise, they would not be called Old and New. But it is a terrible mistake to assume that the two Testaments are unrelated It is a terrible mistake to assume that the New Testament is for Christians, for example, but not the Old. In fact, both the Old and New Testaments are immensely important to the Christian. You cannot understand the New Testament without the Old, nor can you understand why Jesus is the Christ without having some idea of the message of the Old Testament scriptures. After Christ was raised from the dead, he met with his disciples and he continued to teach them. 
And on one occasion, this is what he said. He spoke to his disciples saying, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He was speaking of the Old Testament prophets. I quote again, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them, his disciples, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. That is Luke 24, 25 through 27. When Luke refers to the scriptures here in this passage, he is referring to the Old Testament scriptures, for there was no New Testament scripture in existence when Jesus walked the earth. This Luke 24 passage is very important to us. In fact, this is where the name Emmaus comes from, for Jesus met with these disciples in a little town called Emmaus and taught them in this way. But more importantly, it is here that we see how Jesus viewed himself. He viewed himself as being the fulfillment to the Old Testament scriptures. His view was that they, the Old Testament scriptures, pointed forward to him and predicted his person and his work. So the Old and New Testaments differ in significant ways, but they are organically related. The New Testament is related to the Old like an oak tree is related to the acorn from which it sprung. Concerning the interrelatedness of the Old and New Testament, St. Augustine famously said, The New is in the Old concealed, and the Old is in the New revealed. Think about that comment for a moment. Again, the New, that is to say, the New Testament, or covenant, is in the Old concealed. It is there in the Old Testament, hidden. It is there in the Old Testament, in promises, types, and shadows. And then again, Augustine says that the Old, that is the Old Testament, is in the New, revealed. And so when we read the pages of the New Testament, we are to read them against the backdrop of the Old Testament, and we are to see that here we have the fulfillment of the promises, types, shadows, and prophecies of old in the person and work of Jesus the Christ. I think this saying is correct and helpful. So how many individual books are there in the Bible? The answer is 66. How many testaments are there? And what are they called? Well, there are two. They are called the Old and the New. How many individual books are there in the Old Testament? The answer is 39. And how many individual books are there in the New Testament? The answer is 27. What was the major historical event that distinguishes between the Testaments? It was the birth of Christ, who was promised in the prophecies, types, and shadows throughout the Old Testament. And is the Old Testament for Christians? The answer is absolutely. We cannot understand the Christ nor the Christian faith without the Old Testament scriptures. Let me now say just a quick word about the organization of the Old and New Testaments as found in our Protestant Bibles. I have found that it is much easier to find individual books of the Bible if you first understand something about how the books of the Bible are organized. First of all, it is important to know that the books of the Bible are not organized in a strictly chronological fashion. Uh, Little groupings of books might be organized chronologically, but all 66 books are not organized in this way. They are not placed in the order that they were written, 
nor are they placed in the order of the events that they describe. Instead, the books of the Bible are organized according to type or genre. The first grouping of books that we find in the Old Testament is called the Pentateuch, meaning five books. These were written by Moses at around 1400 B.C. The names of these books will sound very familiar to you. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, These books together tell of creation um, and also of the creation of the nation of Israel and God's covenant with them. After this, we find a collection of historical books. I will not read them off entirely. There are 12 books here in this collection. They run from Joshua all the way to Esther. Uh, You can open up your Bible to uh, the very front and find a table of contents there and read through the names of these books and of the other books that I will mention in just a moment. Also, you can open up to chapter 1 of our Confession of Faith and there find a listing of the books of the Bible. And so first we have the Pentateuch. After this, we have a collection of 12 historical books which tell of the history of the nation of Israel. And then we find a collection of books of poetry. There are five books of poetry which reflect upon God's greatness and his dealings with men. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. After this, we find the prophets, and first we have five major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Uh, These books are called major because they are big books. They are longer than what we will call the minor prophets. Uh, And these prophets ministered from about 740 to 550 B.C. And finally, we have the minor prophets, which I have already mentioned. There are 12 minor prophets. These prophets ministered from approximately 840 to 400 B.C. And you could read the names of those minor prophets yourself. Uh, But To know how the Old Testament is structured can help you to find your way around the Old Testament. If I say on a Sunday morning, uh, please turn to the book of Amos, you might think to yourself, I think he was a prophet, but he wasn't one of the big ones. He wrote a smaller book. I'll probably find his book near to the end of the Old Testament in the Minor Prophets. When we come to the New Testament, we find that it is organized in a similar way. Uh, First, we have the Gospels, which describe the life and teaching of Jesus the Christ. Uh, These Gospels are similar to one another, but they are written for different audiences, and therefore they emphasize different aspects of Jesus' ministry. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. After this, we have a historical book called Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, This book was written by Luke, as the continuation of his gospel. And it tells of the establishment of the New Covenant Church, the passing away of the Old Covenant, and the spread of Christianity throughout the world. Next, we find epistles, or letters. Uh, There are 21 epistles, and they are broken into two categories. Uh, The first 13 are letters from the Apostle Paul. Romans through Philemon make up the Pauline epistles, as we call them. And they are written to churches in a region, to a church, or to individuals, usually pastors of churches. Uh, The author of Hebrews is unknown, but some believe it was also written by Paul. 
The last seven letters are called general or Catholic epistles, being written by a variety of authors and to a diverse or general audience. Uh, These letters apply the person, teaching, and work of Jesus Christ to the new covenant people of God. And then lastly, we have a book of prophecy called Revelation. This book encourages the church to remain faithful to Christ until he returns and tells of the time of the end when the Lord will return to raise the just to eternal life, the unjust to eternal condemnation, and to usher in the new heavens and the new earth. Again, as I have said, I think it is helpful to know how the books of the Bible, the Old and New Testament, are organized uh, so that you can navigate the scriptures uh, rather quickly. Back to the catechism question now. What is the Word of God? The answer, the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are the Word of God. This is really an incredible thing to claim. We are saying that these writings, these 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, which were written by many men over a period of 1,500 years, are in fact God's Word. Why do we believe that these writings are the Word of God? Well, paragraph 5 of chapter 1 of our Confession does list some reasons for believing that the Scriptures are the Word of God. I'll leave it to you to read that on your own time. I think it is a beautiful paragraph, actually. For now, I will simply highlight that this is how the Scriptures speak of themselves. Two of the more well-known passages on this point are 2 Peter 1.21 and 2 Timothy 3.16-17. Peter says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is an important text, for it tells us that men spoke and wrote God's word being carried along, uh, that is, driven or moved by the Holy Spirit of God to say and to write what they did. Again, the scriptures are the words of men. Nevertheless, Our view of the scriptures is that these men, uh, though they themselves wrote, were carried along, driven or moved by the Holy Spirit of God to say and and to write what they did. And Paul wrote to Timothy saying, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Here it is scripture that is being discussed, and Paul says that all scripture was breathed out by God. Our view, therefore, is that though these writings are the writings of men, these men were inspired by God to write what they wrote, so that in the end what we have is God's word and not man's. Connected to this is our belief that the scriptures are inerrant, meaning that they do not contain error. We also believe that they are infallible, and here is a similar concept, but slightly different. They cannot err. Many things could be said about the doctrines of inerrancy and infallibility, but in brief, if we believe the Scriptures to be the Word of God, then we must also believe them to be inerrant and infallible, for God cannot err. Lastly, our catechism is right to say that the Holy Scriptures are the only certain rule of faith and obedience. Rule means standard. When asking, what are we to believe regarding God, man, and our relation to Him, etc., The scriptures are our rule or standard. When asking, how are we to live in this world? Again, 
The scriptures are our rule or standard. What are we to believe? The scriptures are the only certain rule of faith. They reveal to us what is true and what we are to believe, and obedience. They reveal to us how it is that we are to live in this world. Truth be told, men and women look to many other things besides God's word as their standard for faith and obedience. In fact, the first sin came about because Adam and Eve disregarded the word of God and listened instead to the word of the serpent. And the children of Adam make the same error to this day. They prefer to listen to other opinions besides the word of God to determine what they should believe and how they should live. But to be a child of God, we must first do what James exhorts us to do in his letter, saying, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Question, what is the word of God? Answer, the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are the word of God, and the only certain rule of faith and obedience. Until next time, abide in Christ.